What I have to tell you this morning is uh, I truly am preaching to myself. I wrote this sermon in my own thoughts and prayers toward God over the last two or three weeks. But I know it applies to everybody in the room also. I really think if you will take this to heart and honestly receive it, this is one of the most important things I've ever told you. Top five in 12 years uh, or 11 years or whatever it's been. Um, It's really important in me and to me, and I hope to set you free from some questions or maybe even some burdens that are, are limiting you in your relationship with God. I want to talk to you this morning about false expectations that we have toward God and about ourselves, that then when they don't happen, we end up blaming God and we get offended and have to work through forgiveness toward God because life didn't go the way we thought. We expect good things to come that then don't happen, or we expect bad things to not happen, and then when they, we do, we're shocked and angry that God let it happen, and we get offended. We imagine a life or a future or a career path or a success or a family, and then the older you are, the more you know this is true. Reality never matches what we imagine. Divorce and death and sickness and sin get in the way. But since our present that used to be our future that we were imagining, but now it's the present that doesn't match that, God gets the blame. That reality doesn't live up to what we imagined. So I want to talk to you about false expectations this morning. If you follow anybody from Bethel, you've heard Chris Vallotton and Danny Silk use this phrase often that did not originate with them. The sentence that expectation kills relationship. And when I first heard Danny Silk say that, I actually got angry and I rejected it. It's like, no, that's not right. It's fine to have expectation in relationship. Because I was thinking of like faithfulness in marriage or obedience of my children. Those are fine to have expectation. Um, Even God has a minimum expectation, and if we don't live up to it, he will cut off the relationship. Hello? But it is true that expectation kills relationship, and the more expectation we have, the less relationship we're going to have. As an example, and I mean marriage and parenting and with your siblings and neighbors and even in your church family, as an example, if I expect Sarah to be smiley and cheerful when I come home from work and to greet me at the door and, and just gush her love for me. And then that doesn't happen every day. If I expect that, then, and it doesn't happen, then it turns to disappointment, which then becomes frustration that she's not living up to my expectation, which then becomes a demand. Somehow I will let her know that that's what I expect. And then the relationship dies because then it becomes, on her part, duty or payment or fear. That I have to do this thing or Mitch is going to be unhappy. Expectation kills relationship. Um, The relationship dies in a demand. 
you did something generous for somebody, just assuming that they would do something generous back. They never told you they would. And you didn't be generous to get generosity back, but you just assumed that it would happen. And then when it didn't, you become offended. All because you imagined something. And that expectation makes you withdraw from the relationship because they didn't reciprocate what I gave them. I was kind, but I wanted to be a friend, but they didn't. You see what I'm talking about? Your adult children, you would really like them to want to do things with you. But if you force that, it doesn't work. And it can truly break your heart that they don't want to go on the family vacation or the, go hunting with you or, or spend the weekend with you or just even come over for dinner and a movie or whatever. But the more you nag and manipulate because of your expectation, the further you push them away. You assume that your pastor will do something for you. I didn't promise I would do that. Becomes offense. Because you expected it. I think it's most clearly seen in the in-law situation. (laughs) Your son gets married. Oh, she's going to fit right in with our daughters. And she's thinking, oh, they're going to be just like my parents. And then they're not. (laughs) Because you have unconscious expectations that she is going to be like your family and she has expectations that you're going to be like her family and then almost immediately, almost in every family, in-laws with in-law siblings or in-law parents or in-law kids, it's, ah, you're not living up to our expectations. And there's offense and hurt feelings and divides relationship because everybody comes into that with expectation. Not on purpose, it's just... It's just false expectation. And it's true with God, too. We love to call it faith, but it's a lot of expectation. There are many offended and broken hearts toward God when it was really only us setting ourselves up, expecting that God would do what we wanted. Well, we called it faith. But it was just our own imagination. We imagined what God would do. We fantasized about our future. And then he didn't. And the fear or worry or anger that we display when he doesn't do what we expect betrays the fact that we were trying to be God with God. Expectation and faith are not the same thing. Expectation will break your heart because it always becomes disappointment and then offense. But faith will give you perfect peace even in the worst circumstances. If it's faith in your heart, it will be as present when God is silent and inactive, when disaster strikes, when prayers go unanswered, when the miracle doesn't happen, as it is when there's success and miracles and answered prayer and victory. Faith is unshakable trust and active obedience to the word of God, completely devoid of dictating to him what he should do. It's unoffendable peace. Write that down. 
Faith is unoffendable peace toward God. That his promises are not more true when I see them and less true when I don't. So I have nine false expectations, lies we believe about ourselves or God, that end up setting us up for disappointment and broken hearts because God never said it was true. Lies we believe, false expectations, imaginations we have. Number one, false expectation is that I am in control. Well, Mitch, I, don't, I, I know I'm not in control. But yeah, you're sure trying. And you really don't like it when it shows that you're not. We want to be in control and we get mad at God when we can't be. It is the original sin. It is Satan's original sin. I will be like God. It is Eve's original sin. I will be like God. I can control my life. I can control my circumstances. I can manage my life to achieve the results I want. I can be anything I want. I can achieve anything I want. I can dream big. I will be successful. Well, the world loves to tell that lie. We brainwash our kids with it from preschool. And it is not true. It sets everybody up for disappointment. The future that I imagine is actually going to happen. The older you are, the more you know that is not true. But it is a big, false expectation. That then when it doesn't come true, we blame God. Well, God, why did you let that happen? Or why didn't you warn me that that was coming? The expectation that we can control where our life goes. James says, you know nothing. Say, if God wills it, I will go here and do that. Number two, false expectation. I am a good person. I have a well-intentioned heart. Then when we find out that we're not, we're shocked and scared of God. When God knew it all along. But you withdraw from Him in fear and shame and shock that you're not a good person. I deserve a good life. No, the only thing we deserve is hell. Everything else is a gift of God's love. The only thing we deserve is hell. That is the only thing we have qualified for. Everything else is a gift of love. Related to this, my kids are good people. That one will ruin your family for four generations. Your kids are not good people. Your kids are bound for hell. Parents of little kids, you have got to understand that. Your job is to discipline them and train them and love them into the kingdom of heaven. Those of you with adult kids that aren't serving the Lord, they aren't okay. And I know some of you fast and pray and weep. We all need Jesus. Jesus called us wicked parents. You who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more your Father in heaven, who is the only one that's good? We set ourselves up for shock when our kids 
aren't good. You may wonder why God let that happen. Well, because they have your genetics. <laughs> Number three, false expectation. I have no idols. Well, Mitch, I don't bow down to idols. Yeah, I know, but you sure get scared when they don't work. <laughs> your money or your reputation fails you. Your control systems. Exodus 23 says, have no other gods before me. Anything we trust in or would pay money to have is a God. Number four, false expectation. There will be no consequences for my bad decisions or bad habits. Or God will bail me out of my bad decisions and bad consequences and bad habits. I can treat my body however I want and when I get old and sick, God will just do a miracle. Or I can treat this other person however I want and then say I'm sorry and God and whoever will forgive me and we'll just move on. Matthew 4, 7, Jesus' second temptation. Satan tries to tempt him with God will bail you out. Remember, jump, jump off this temple and, and God will send his angels to save you. And Jesus said, don't tempt the Lord your God. It's our duty to obey what we know is right, not expect God to be our bailout plan. Number five, God understands my heart. Well, Mitch, doesn't God understand my heart? Yes, absolutely. But as I've told you before, all of Satan's lies are mostly true. They just get twisted. Does God understand our heart? Absolutely he does. Does he understand the way, your heart the way you mean that? Absolutely not. You are excusing your own sin, thinking that God explain, understands it. I am God's favorite. God loves me too much to punish me. Well, Mitch, I don't think that. Well, you live like it. I do. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you think you're saved just because you're children of Abraham. Meaning they had this idea that they had an in with God. Just because of who they were. We're Israelites. We're Jews. We're Hebrews or whatever. And Jesus said, I can make children of Abraham out of these rocks. The modern Christian thinks, well, I have Jesus. He died for my sins. God loves me. He understands. As I said, all that is true, but Satan gets us to pervert it in a way to excuse our sin. God understands why this or this, or why I can't do this or that. God knows that I can't tithe. He understands. We got bills to pay. No, he doesn't. He does not understand. God understands why I can't forgive that person. I'm just... I'm just working through it. Yeah, well, it's been long enough. He does not understand why you're holding that grudge. It is not okay. God understands why I'm too busy to serve. God understands why we can't get married because the tax situation, the finances, and it's just, it's just too much. God understands my sexual desires, and, and, and it's okay. 
No. He does not understand. He's not permitting it. God knows I have good intentions. That's two lies. First, that you think you have good intentions, and secondly, that you think God is as deluded about you as you are. (laughs) The road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's not Bible, but it's true. Number six, God is there for me. Well, Mitch, is God not there for me? Yes, he is, but not in the way you mean that. God is there for us. He is there to hear our prayer, and he loves us and wants to know everything we want to say or ask. But the purpose of his existence is not to be there for us. We exist for him. So I know you know the difference, but most of our prayers are shopping lists and demands and expectations. That God is there for me when I need something, when I'm in trouble, God is there for me. Actually, God's purpose of existence is not for us. Our purpose of existence is for Him. Expectation becomes demand. When it doesn't happen, it leads to offense and it breaks relationship. Hebrews 11.39 goes, Hebrews 11 is the heroes of faith and The first half is all about victorious saints. The second half is all about people that died. It says they were stoned, they were imprisoned, they were beheaded, they were crucified, they were whipped. And it says, and they were not delivered. These martyrs were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. We really think that if we have enough faith, God will answer our prayers. And that's true. Jesus said, be it unto you according to your faith. Don't unhear anything I've taught you about faith and miracles and prayer. But what we really want is God to answer our prayers the way we demand, the way we expect. That isn't faith. That's selfishness. These martyrs passed the test of faith, but they were not delivered. They died in faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, forced by King of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, to worship and to bow down to an idol, and they would not bow down. And the king said, I will throw you in the fiery furnace. And they said, Our God is able to save us, but even if he does not, we will not bow down. So he makes the furnace seven times hotter. And God did not deliver them from execution. We know the story. We know how it ends. They were thrown in the fire and they lived. They didn't get hot. They didn't even smell like smoke. Jesus went in the fire with them. But they didn't know that was going to happen. They were tied up and thrown in the fire with no promise of deliverance. And they went. They didn't feel the heat that killed the soldiers that threw them in the fire. The soldiers that threw them in the fire died from the heat of the fire. They didn't feel the heat and start screaming, Okay, okay, I'll bow down. They went to die. We cannot forget that. We have to imagine what that was. That was sheer terror. Terror. 
And God let it happen. Yes, God will answer your prayers of faith. But not the way we want. Or demand or expect. Related to this, God will work out everything. God will work everything out. Well, yes. Is that not true? Yes, of course it's true. But usually not the way we thought it would look. God is not a good luck charm. Prayer is not an insurance policy. Jesus had unanswered prayer and so will we. You may have to drink the bitter cup. You will have some bitter cups to drink. Luke 22. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Being in agony. The angel is with him. He is in agony. And he is right in the center of the will of God. And God has no plans to bail him out. You can hurt all over. And God is right there ministering to you. But he isn't stopping what hurts. But he loves you. It is possible to be in terrible pain and be in the center of the will of God. To be in the presence of God. And he is serving you and loving you and wiping the sweat from your brow. But he isn't stopping what hurts. If we expect him to, turns into offense, anger, demand, which kills the relationship. If we just receive his love and know that he is present, and tenderly, personally ministering, even as we pay a very bitter cost, then our hearts stay soft. Number seven, I will not suffer. Well, Mitch, we all know that one isn't true. But yeah, we sure complain about it when it happens. Our flesh doesn't like it. Because even after all we've been through, we still expect that tomorrow will be better than today. Which sometimes is true, but sometimes it isn't. Pain is avoidable. Tragedy is rare. And miracles are common. That's a false expectation. Well, Mitch, no, no. Faith. Revival. Mitch, what kind of pastor says miracles are rare? They are. Because they're valuable. The more common something is, the less valuable and cheap it is. God's grace is not cheap. I think he's doing millions of miracles a day. 
They don't happen just because we demand one. It's not save us from life in this world and the tragedy and heartbreak that that is just because we expect him to. Accidents and death are unexpected and untimely. I will not grow old. All the old people scoffed at that one. Wasn't expecting that. I will not die. Well, bitch, of course I know I'm going to die. But yeah, you don't live like it. I know this isn't the most exciting thing I've ever preached. But it's kind of one of those, oh, that hurts so good. I hope. I hope. John 16, 33. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. We are not promised we will not have trouble. In fact, we are promised that we will. But take heart. Jesus has the ultimate victory. So we believe this lie. We have this false expectation. And then when suffering comes, then we're like, God, why did you allow that to happen? Or why didn't you stop that? Well, he never promised that he wouldn't. If we would get rid of the expectation, I don't mean the expectation that God will save us or do miracles or that he will answer prayer. I don't mean any of that. I just mean that we have the expectation that it won't happen at all. Well, no, I don't, Mitch. Well, yes, we do. Because when it happens, it surprises us. It takes us off guard. We're not ready for it. It hurts. If we're really, truly humble before God, no matter what comes, we'll stay soft-hearted toward God. I told you I'm preaching to myself and not anybody else. Number eight. I can have Jesus without meaningful sacrifice. Selah. Matthew 10, 37 to 39. Jesus is speaking. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. For the first 300 years of the church, everybody knew if they get baptized, they will likely be killed at some point. They knew they were signing their death warrant. We have lived... In the post-Christian era now for so long, and the world is so affected by the Christian gospel, and especially in America, that they took dying for Jesus for granted, and we take liberty for granted. And it is our expectation that we will not have to actually suffer or pay a price. It really is changing. It, it really, truly is. That's not an overstatement. And I know that in your personal life, you, you may have made some sacrifice for Jesus. But there's a lot of people in church this morning, uh, across America, and even in this room, who you don't make sacrifice. 
at least the Old Testament people of Israel and Judah, when they weren't serving God, they at least faked it and went to the temple with a sacrifice. A whole bunch of you come to church with no sacrifice at all. You haven't obeyed all week. You haven't given anything. You don't serve. And you think you have Jesus. I'm preaching to myself. Nobody in mind. I have an expectation that my future will be like my present and my past. But it may not be. I really may have to pay a price, and soon. And the more real that becomes to me in the next last few weeks, the more terror I feel as I fast and pray, and the more I realize I have some pretty serious false expectations. How I imagine my life will go. I'm not promised anything other than nothing can separate me from the love of God. This is a really, really bad list in that verse, you know? And it all happened. But nothing can separate me from God. But that's all. I don't know how the rest of it's going to go. I'm not promised to live in the world my parents had. I'm not promised to live in the world that I thought I would have when I was younger. We are professional imaginers. Professional imaginers. Good things about our future. Fantasies that we have. James says, you don't know what is coming tomorrow. All we can do is be faithful with whatever comes. Number nine, false expectation. My life will continue as it is. 2 Peter 3, 3 3-4. Know this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own desires and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since ancient times, all things continue as they have been from the beginning. Well, Mitch, I'm not scoffing about Jesus' coming. Yes, but you imagine your future as it is today. Look who it is that says tomorrow will be like today. In a positive sense. Look who it is that says that. The people who refuse Jesus' coming. Do you see it? Do you get my point? We are professional imaginers. That tomorrow will be like today. That I'm going to go here and do this. We're going to have an easy marriage. We're going to have healthy kids. We're going to have this career path. We're going to build this asset value. I'm going to build this retirement account. And we're going to retire and buy the RV. And we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And and this is my plan. I am in control. The future that I imagine is actually going to happen. Because tomorrow will be like today, only better. Dang, Mitch, I wish I'd stayed home. I know you're not scoffing about Jesus' return, but your neat and tidy life, you imagine that it will continue and your plans and your future will come to pass, school and career and family and finances and retirement and whatever else, and then somebody's sin blows things up in your family or the government 
makes a decision, passes a law, or implements this or that, or, or your church blows up in somebody's sin. We've all lived through that, or one row or another, and things come and go. The older people are smiling and nodding, and the younger people are looking at me like this. <laughs> the older people doesn't scare you a bit. You know that you've been through that battle. Younger people are like, man, Mitch, this is not very encouraging. It is. It is because I'm setting you up for success. I am disillusioning you on purpose. If you're living in illusion, it's good to be disillusioned. I know you're not going to go home excited, but you're going to go home really thoughtful and you're going to work your way down to real bedrock faith. And you're going to let go of fences and anger and demands toward God. And you're going to find real peace. Maybe not excitement, but real peace. We set up these expectations for how our life is going to go. And then when it doesn't happen, we're surprised. Why are we surprised? Eight times in a row. I'm not saying expect bad things either. No expectation. Right? I told you before, pessimism and optimism are both enemies of faith. They're both evil. So I'm not saying go and expect bad things to come tomorrow either. Just live whatever comes through the door tomorrow, good or bad. Obey God. Love God. Nothing can separate you from his love. I just don't expect that this thing, good or bad, is going to come. I'm just, I live with, I am, in the here and now. If you take this and get pessimist, you're doing what I'm saying not to do. That's an expectation also. If you live in fear, that's an expectation. Worry is expectation. So don't take it and be negative. It's just faith unoffendable peace in every moment i will obey in every day no matter what his promises are not more true when it's successful and less true when i don't see it it's always true mark 8 34 to 38 whoever desires to come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. But what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. I know we're not in a situation where we're about to be crucified or even arrested or anything uh, for serving Jesus, and, and, and that's where our mind goes. But see how I'm applying this. If you desire to save the life you have now for tomorrow, you will lose it. If I try to hold on to yesterday, in nostalgia, or broken heart, or offense. If I try to hold on to what I had when the kids were young, or when we had our marriage was whole, or before this happened, or before that, 
you are losing today. We can't preserve anything. We can only live right now. If we try to hold on, if we try to save it or preserve it or keep it, it slips through our hands. It's gone. So unmet expectations ultimately are going to become a fence and it's going to break our relationship with God. But faith is the opposite of all this. Faith is humility. That my life is not my own. That when I signed up with Jesus, I know that means that I give up my life. And all that goes with that. All my expectations, my demands, my plans for a future. Anything. It all goes to Jesus. And that will result in contentment. No matter what comes or what has come, I'm okay. God loves me, and I know eternity is there. His love is there. Jesus' death is for me. The Holy Spirit is with me. I'm content. It also is going to result in thankfulness. Instead of focusing on what we lost or what happened to us that shouldn't have, We're going to be thankful for what we have and thankful for the time we did get to enjoy. This is huge. That is the litmus test. Are you constantly focusing on what you lost or what you missed out on? Or are you thankful for what you did get? Or what you do have? And flexibility. Flexibility is, oh my... It's so nearly impossible for us. That whole fight or flight thing, you know, I've told you before, we, when, when danger comes, the, you know, the thing is with wild animals and with people, it's supposed to be fight or flight. But we, really, truly, we don't do either. We usually just freeze. If you know people or livestock, you know, they just stand there and look at the coyote. Ah, they just bawl. Ah, and he comes and he snatches the lamb and runs off. And that's what people do. Trouble comes and we just freeze and we cry. Flexibility. To be able to move on. To be able to move past. To move through. To keep going and not get stuck in your husband's betrayal or your dad's abandonment or your mom's abuse or your rejection from your kids or the pastor that send and split the church or whatever it is that the loss that you endured flexibility okay that's what today brought nothing can separate me from the love of God I won't get hard I have no expectation other than that God will love me and be with me and whether I am dancing or in agony he is with me and I am in the center of his will Having heard all of this, are you willing? All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I free give. I will ever love and trust You in His presence daily live.
I surrender all. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave all for us. And we can never outgive you. We can never repay you. We will always be in debt. But we promise right now, Lord, that it's all yours. No matter what it costs us, you are worth it. You are that valuable. Lord, forgive us for complaining or being afraid or worrying, for getting offended for what you did or didn't do for what you did or didn't allow. Lord, thank you for disillusioning us. Thank you for your gentleness, for your kindness, for your gentle love. You are so patient and gentle and kind, even as you rip these things out of our heart, you do it so kindly. Thank you that even though you were in agony, you drank the cup that the Father gave you. Thank you that we can have unoffendable peace, faith, rock-solid confidence in your word and your promises. That you will perform what you have promised. That every word, every jot and tittle is true. Whether we are currently living in victory and success or in pain and trouble and heartbreak, thank you that you love us, that you are with us, that you are comforter and that you are victory. Lord, whatever today brings, whatever tomorrow brings, we are yours. We take off the crown that we have put on ourselves and we give it to you. May your kingdom come in our hearts, in our lives. Amen.